I'm Brian Levitt. Before we launch into our latest conversation about commercial real estate, I wanted to note that this conversation took place shortly before the failure of First Republic Bank, as well as before some of the other challenges that have emerged within the regional banking system. So as we talk about the lending landscape, you're not going to hear their name mentioned, but that's okay. What's most important about this conversation are the long-term opportunities that our real estate experts see ahead. And that's just as true today as it was when we first recorded this in mid-April. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the Greater Possibilities podcast, where we put concerns into context and opportunities into focus. I'm your host, Brian Levitt. And I'm Jody Phillips. Bert Crouch is on the show today. Bert is head of North America and a portfolio manager with Invesco Real Estate. We're getting a lot of questions, Brian, about commercial real estate, so Bert will be addressing those and discussing why he believes some of these concerns may create opportunities. Ooh, very on par with the branding of the I podcast, do. I right? I listen, we're, yeah. Uh, would, would you say that we're going to put concerns into context and opportunities into focus? I would. I would say that for sure. But hey, you know, before we get to Bert, I do want to add that I did enjoy your conversation uh, last time about Silicon Valley Bank with uh, Justin Livengood. I got to experience that as a listener instead of a host this time. Uh, terrible timing for my kids' spring break to coincide with such big news. It's funny you said that. I was talking to Bert uh, a few minutes before starting this, and he said the exact same thing. It's it's just, um, it's got to be Murphy's Law for both of you. you. You finally get away a little bit, and we, we get this little financial crisis that we have to deal with. A little crisis. A yeah. little crisis. Yeah, that sounds like an oxymoron, Brian. Like, like organized <laughs> chaos? <laughs> I do. What's your favorite uh, oxymoron? I'm going to go with Maybe I'm going to go with accurate estimate. Accurate? I like that one. I mean, look, jumbo shrimp is a classic menu-oriented oxymoron. But look, Awfully good. Awfully good. I like that one, too. Awfully good. All right, but little so, but crisis. Yeah, little crisis is where we're at Little right crisis. Now. Yeah, I mean, it, it does. It might sound like, a, like an oxymoron, but it's accurate, and it could have become a bigger crisis had we not seen policymakers respond quickly. So we learned in fairly short order that depositors, depositors will be protected. Um, Fed opened the discount window widely <laughs> to any bank that needed emergency liquidity. And, and I would say it also hasn't hurt that um, the bond market, uh, at least primarily, has, has rallied recently. Yeah, not at all. No, it does. It does feel like things have calmed down. And as you were telling me before, you know, the deposit flight from the small banks seems to have ended. Yeah, it looks like deposits have bottomed, they're climbing again. So that's a good sign. Maybe it's a little bit of confirmation bias on my part, but that feels like a good sign. And I don't know. I mean, it, probably a lot of that's just from you, Jody, right? You got your <laughs> bonus in February and you, you put it in a small bank and that's why deposits are up so podcast, much. Podcast bonus. Yeah. That's a, <laughs> is that one for the oxymoron list? Or, never mind. Never mind. We need a few million more <laughs> listeners. So look, now everyone is focused on what's next and how does commercial real estate fit in? So we've all seen the headlines. Some say commercial real estate may be the next shoe to drop from this little crisis. Yeah, and I don't think we can disentangle the interest rate environment, the challenges at regional banks, the challenges for the economy from the real estate market. Obviously, it's it's all connected. Yeah, and that's why Bert's here. So let's bring him on to address the current environment and how he's navigating it. Plus, we'll ask about the structural themes that he believes are intact and likely to offer opportunities to investors. Bert, 
Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. And I, I've got to go with uh, cautiously optimistic. Ooh, it's I like a that good one. real oh, estate nice. oxymoron nice. if you'll work with me there. And you hear it a lot, <laughs> All right? The time. Cautiously optimistic, just me. That's like uh, Harry Truman's one-handed economist, <laughs> right? Or <laughs> well played. Yes, yeah. exactly. So um, first, condolences on spring break. My yeah. my apologies <laughs> that you didn't get as much time off as you probably deserved. It's all good. I think my kids were uh, were thrilled. Your so, kids were thrilled yeah, that yeah. you were working cor and they were correct. They, they, had, were, they were enjoying some leisure time. That, that's right. Good, that's right. Good. You know, um, it's hard to open a newspaper. I, I don't know. People still open newspapers. It's it, or, or maybe swipe on the phone now without go. finding warnings about commercial real estate, which is probably why you were working on spring break. So I'm just going to tick off a couple of these things that I think investors are hearing, and you know maybe we can take them one by one. So. Just a couple of problems I'm hearing, the challenges in the regional banks, this whole work from home phenomenon, retail at a crossroads, uh, higher rates, a wall of maturity on, on, on commercial real estate loans. So let's start with the regional banks. Why was Silicon Valley Bank such an issue um, and why did you have to work on spring break <laughs> as a result of it? Yeah, it's, it's a good question, and, and that was a, a tough intro. I think I need a, a cocktail uh, for this morning. <laughs> they'll, they'll morning be cocktails. Morning podcast. It's coming. But joking aside, I do get a lot of questions on, on SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, and why was it so relevant to commercial real estate. When you look at their balance sheet, it was irrelevant. I mean, it was of their total loan books, sub 4%, total assets, sub 2%. Yeah. So, so why did it matter? And, you know, it, it mattered for a couple of reasons. Uh, I think most importantly, liquidity was already at a premium um, in commercial real estate. When you think about just year over year, it's tale of two cities. And you touched on a lot of the, the aspects out of the gate. But I mean, a year ago, Fed funds was essentially zero. Zero. Yeah. So for secured overnight funding rate was essentially zero. So you could borrow in commercial real estate at 2%. You had capital markets were humming. Commercial mortgage-backed securities, CMBS, CLOs, collateralized loan obligations, wide open. So you had capital flowing, excess M2 coming off the stimulus out of COVID. Um, and the regional banks were playing a huge role in that. So when you think about banks generally, I, I like to break it up a, a little bit simpler because we debate regional and super regional, money center, bulge bracket. Think about it this way, just on assets, zero to 10 billion small, 10 to 250, the midsize, and then 250 up, whatever you want to call it, bulge bracket, and then you've got the GSIBs, the systemically important banks right. at, the, at the top tier. Um, when you think about the, the regional, let's call that the mid midsize, so 10 to 250, why SVB mattered is because Signature failed right after. And Signature failed on a Sunday, and Signature was very much overweight commercial real estate, especially here in the in the New York City, uh, you know, uh, metro area. And, and um, it, it created a, a couple things. It changed the mindset of bankers generally, which was one of the last bastions of liquidity. If you look at CMBS already being down really to a two decade low in the first quarter. And that's because of the interest rate move? Interest rate move, but also just broader capital markets yeah. dislocation. I mean, it's down over 80%. Basically nothing got securitized. And we can, we can hit on that again later to the extent uh, of interest, but going back to the regional banks, last year, so 2022, they were over 40% of market share. They've grown of their total loan book has grown over the last decade from just under 20% to just under 30%. They did like, I think it was 1.3 trillion of origination last year. So they have been loading up on commercial real estate because they've had excess deposits. And the excess deposits, excess liquidity coming out of the Fed stimulus, M2's gone through the roof, where to house it. Back to SVB, why is that relevant? 
social media and technology, we saw a bank run in 24 hours. Yeah. 42 billion on Thursday, 100 billion teed up for Friday, and then Signature is failing on a Sunday. And nobody even had a lineup. No, no one. I mean, it was it happened so quickly. It has forced bankers, quote unquote, you know, the their credit teams to reassess how sticky really are deposits. And you mentioned they've stabilized a little bit, but some headlines this morning, whether it was, you know, M&T or State Street, I mean, just everyone is focused on deposits and are they sticky? The better question is, will you now lend them out at the same velocity right. that you would before if they can be pulled back so quickly? Now go to your interest rate comment. What was SVB's issue? They had hold to maturity assets and fixed income. And when they had to liquidate those to stem the deposit withdrawal, you realize they weren't worth what they showed. Why? Because of simple convexity, right? right. It's finance 101. Convexity. Right. Uh, this is, this <laughs> That's is a, me. It's like finance <laughs> 401, isn't it? <laughs> this is me trying to act in, intelligent. I'm just a dumb real estate guy at the end of the day. You and I both know it. Let's just be honest. So, But when you look at that, it exposed it. So it changed it furthered if you think about like inflation and what happened in the in the wildly uh uh unfortunate situation with ukraine it really just exaggerated a trend that was already moving forward and i i'd argue somewhat similarly here an exogenous circumstance like svb and then ultimately signature took a dislocation just to the next level so jody are we going to need a it's a wonderful life for the uh for the new <laughs> digital environment that we went through i could already start casting it in my mind all right. All right. Well, while you do that, I'm going <laughs> to, you know, uh, as we mentioned in the intro, of course, you know, some say commercial real estate's the next shoe to drop from, from all of this banking turmoil and banking crisis. So, you know, how would you respond to that statement? Yeah. I, you know, again, Brian kind of hit on out of the gate. A lot of sensationalist headlines right now we got to be careful about. Uh, so next shoe to drop, you know, Euphemisms aside, I mean, there's there's clearly some headwinds there. Uh, you read about the wall of maturities, 900 billion maturing over the next two years. Uh, good news is, relative to the global financial crisis, leverage is lower. It was more prudently done, right? So if you look at the fixed rate universe and CMBS, commercial mortgage-backed securities, you know, loan to values, global financial crisis started in the mid to high 60s. Now they're sub 60, at least going in. Um, debt service coverage ratios were higher. Now base rates were lower, and that's changing now. But your ba your starting point is better. You know, leverage was less utilized. It was more prudent, and CMBS is is a smaller part of it. So I think that's the positive news. The negative news is all the things again, Brian. You just you just touched on and Jody, you as well. You got SOFR at almost five percent. You got spreads up. So if you financed an apartment asset a year ago. That was going to be done at low 2%. That's now somewhere high sixes to maybe as high as 8%. So you've seen that fly up. And what does that mean? Even for good assets, there could be challenges on the refinance front. Does that mean widespread distress post Lehman? I'd argue no. But does it mean that we're facing some real headwinds from a, if you go back to the comments we were just, take, just making, regional banks are going to want to decrease exposure to commercial real estate. The regulators are all over them. You read about it over the last week and a half, Dodd-Frank rollbacks. They want to refocus on the sub 250 billion asset banks. Uncertainty around, is there a recession coming or not? I don't know, but a chief credit officer is worried about that. They're pulling back, CMBS non-existent, rates up. It just creates a tricky picture that candidly, Jody, we feel like is going to create some real opportunity. 
Bert, let's take a giant step back for a second and talk about the mechanics of this. So the regional banks are lending money over a set period of time at a certain interest rate to who and what's coming due for them and at what rate versus where they were not so long ago. Yeah, good question. Uh, so when you think about regional banks, usually they're floating rate. So your life insurance and, and commercial bank commercial mortgage-backed securities are going to be your five to 10-year fixed rate, your regional, and really all banks, mid-size, uh, large to small, are going to be usually three-year initial term, two-year, one-year extension options, all floating rate. Why that matters is most of them required you to buy some sort of interest rate hedge. Layperson's terms, what does that mean? It means the interest rate could only go up so high before your hedge kicked into place. In large part, that's the case now. Think about what the Fed's done. They've taken rates up almost 500 basis points in around 12 months. That is twice the average on a monthly basis. So the last nine rate hike cycles, it's been sub 20 basis points a month. This is 40. People have to put that in context. It's not just the absolute amount. It's the time in, in which they've done it. Punchline for real estate and your question, when those hedges expire, suddenly they're exposed to significantly higher debt service costs, and that creates that decision point. Do I continue to feed this asset? What does it look like on a refinance? How much capital do I have to inject to right-size that loan? And that's going to create that stress in the system. And again, as I just alluded to, to Jody, we think some real opportunity here. All right, Brian. So do we pivot to the putting opportunities into focus Yeah, I mean, how? Wh why do we want to focus on the negative for so long. I mean, we, <laughs> we, we've laid it out. Bird understands it. He's got his hand on the tiller of this, this portfolio. And let's think about how we take advantage all right. of, of all this yes. negative sentiment in the asset class. All right, let's go then. So, so Bert, are there any dislocations emerging that you're viewing as opportunities at the moment? Yeah, of course. So, um, you know, you, you never in the, in the old Winston Churchill, you never you know want to waste a good crisis, right. and and that's kind of how we're we're viewing this. You don't want to exploit the market; you want to take advantage of it. And so, our job as a global real estate investment manager, people ask us all about you know what differentiates Invesco Real Estate and how does that translate to opportunity today? You know, twenty one offices, sixteen countries, truly global. We play across a risk return spectrum, core equity to high returning equity, and then across the capital structure, equity to credit, and then also listed real assets to, to, to private. And so today you've got to play all aspects of that. And that's the key. So, you know, you asked me about the banks earlier. I referenced the wall of maturities that you read a lot about. Banks specifically, 550 billion over the next two years-ish. Mm -hmm. uh, there's gonna need to be um, gap financing that's going to need to be injected there. So we've been pivoting a lot of our strategies where historically we'd say, why wouldn't we buy that asset today? The question is, why wouldn't we lend on it? Right. It's just a better inherent opportunity. So if you're a seller and you don't like today's pricing, so the cap rate on an industrial asset, well, at least you like, has gone up 100 plus basis points. So values down 15 to 20%. You say, I'm not a seller, but I've got to pay down my loan to extend or refinance. We're a great preferred equity investor there. And you answer the question that everybody wants to ask, where are values today? You say, I don't care because I've got a significant cushion to the last dollar value here, and my return is more current than upside. Right. The other way to play that is just be a lender. That's what we've done. We've originated over $4 billion annually the last two years, just filling the void, whether it's CMBS or now going to be the regional banks. So what we're really leaning into today in the private side is some aspect of credit. 
We expect there to be consolidation in the banking industry. You're already starting to see that on the on the regional banks. We expect to see more of it and or they're going to you know, start to to move some of these scratch and dent legacy portfolios to take if the regional bank has, you know, uh, whatever, 20 to 30 percent of their asset base. And they probably want to take that down, whether it's five points or cut it in half. They're going to want to move some of the best product. We can be a great buyer of that on a moderately levered basis. So you can kind of play the credit dislocation three or four different ways. Now, are there parts of the market that you're looking to avoid versus parts of the market that you're you're diving into? When you when you hear about things like work from home or retail at a crossroads or, you know, demographics, people are going to need different types of living facilities. Are you leaning into and out of some of those different structural stories that are taking place? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when you think about commercial real estate, it usually, it was kind of the big four. Think about the old accounting. You know, it was office, industrial, multi, and retail. Right. And now it's not. We've redefined our index to really have nine different sectors. Nine. So nine yeah, if times. you think about it, <laughs> nine times, <laughs> I'd say uh, it's a great, oh, we named our dog. Uh, we got a dog in the middle of COVID, named him Ferris. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, but, but back on point, so when we think about the different sectors, um, w- instead of looking at it as apartments, we call it residential. Single family rental is an area that we're leaning into hard. If you think about today, affordability, prices are still high, but mortgage rates are an all time high. We've seen new supply pull back and the regional mom and pop investor that needed that accretive leverage to invest is gone. So competition down, market opportunity better and pricing more attractive. So we're seeing some entry points like that where we're leaning in more. Uh, I'd say there's also an inelastic story. So take medical office, some of your questions. Uh, uh, Life science, the 75 and over demographic is is expected to increase almost 50% in the next 10 years. That's huge. We want to take advantage of that. That demand driver, again, whether it's life science on the R&D side or whether it's MOB around a hospital, that has been shockingly resilient, very attractive, and very financeable. Flip it on the other side, answer your question, retail is misunderstood. Neighborhood and community retail today, uh, vacancy is sub-7%. It is. That, yeah, it's better than it was pre-COVID. Is that right? Yeah. Why? Because new supply didn't hit. It's been pulled back. Footprints have been right-sized. Now, there's still some struggles in in power centers at times, but on the whole, it's better than it was. Regional malls, a little bit of a different story. But if you look at just like, take apartments and regional malls in the public uh, uh, universe, multifamily is down, call it 30%, just because it got so highly valued where regional malls had already gotten hammered, so it's only down 9% year over year. So there's been some anomalies there. Office is the tough one. Before we get to office, I want to talk a little bit about the retail. You've seen sort of a changing face of it, right? Where it's more experiences rather than uh, necessarily going to buy a shirt that you could just get on the internet. I mean, I'm seeing it's a it's a Starbucks, it's a Pliable, it's a Dave and Buster's, it's it's these types of places, right? Yeah, it, look, it's the omni-channel experience. You know, you want to have enough in the store to attract, I mean, in the experiential mindset, you got to get people open air, foot traffic, where they can do more than just shop. Yeah. And that's what people want to do, whether it's, it's safety, whether it's fun, whether it's actually shopping, usually it's a combination of those things. It's gotten much more creative, but at the end of the day, those that are most successful have the online presence, but have the brick and mortar presence. Jody, you got one of those strip malls by your house that you drop the kids <laughs> off and you don't see them for hours? Yeah, no, I was about to say, I have two teenage boys and somehow they managed to spend so much money at the mall and never come home with a shopping bag. 
Like, what did you do with that money, right? They, they're eating, they're right. playing. It's a virtual reality center. It's shooting zombies. Uh, those and those like, pretzels yeah, are usually pretty good. Yeah, those pretzels with the cheese sauce. That's that's really good. Mm, no, good stuff. Good stuff. Well worth the money. I, I want to hear about the work from home. I mean, I'm I'm enjoying the flexibility, but I want to know. Uh, you know, two of us are sitting here in the office. Actually, our our whole multimedia team is here as well, and. You know, Jody, you're home today. So how's how's that working? Are you productive? Are you making? You can hear me. I can hear you. Yeah, yeah. We're making a podcast. It's you know seamless. Yeah. So where where are we going with this, Bert? You know, everyone starts with the castle data. So castle uh, with a K uh, does card swipes. You know, come in and out of the office, and they they have a very statistically significant sample set of who's returning to the office and when. You know, two or three trends I'd, I'd highlight. One, we've all been kind of waiting for some sort of normalization, and we're starting to see it. Nationwide, we're around 50% that are actually coming into the office, and it's stabilizing like that, which is well below pre-pandemic. And we're seeing that, Brian, very coastally focused, meaning it's very different. Uh, San Jose, uh, California generally in the mid-30s, Texas up to mid-60s, New York somewhere in between, but very challenged. Now, it always takes a good recession, a good scare, good you know market dislocation, volatility, and people want to come back to the office. Not to mention a lot of our you know uh, younger cohort on the investment professional front have not seen a downturn in their careers. So we're feeling that's driving people back. We saw Jamie Diamond put out a you know MDs have to be in five days a week to show certainty, to tutor, to mentor uh, their younger people. So we are seeing a positive trend there, but where they're going, very bifurcated. If you look at office space built between 2017 and 2020, that's 200,000 square feet or more. So large institutional space that's new. New means it's well amenitized. It's got great light. It's got everything. Whether ping it's pong tables, ping pong tables, <laughs> got your got your beer tap. Nothing that any Invesco offices have no. anyway. <laughs> Maybe a coffee, uh, <laughs> right, a, a coffee cold brew, yeah, not the cold yeah. brew you may want. Well, yeah, we got one of those new, uh, you know, uh, flavored water dispensers. That, Ooh, I like uh, that's that. the new rage. Right, that's good. save the bottles. But the punchline there is occupancy uh, is way up, or said the inverse, maybe vacancy is sub ten percent. If you go to that 2016 older cohort, it's over twenty percent. So that obsolescence is a huge debate. And right now, capital flows, whether it's equity or credit, it's just not there. So it's really pushed values down. If you look at the public read space, down over 50%, trading at a almost 60% discount to the net asset value, historically high cap rates approaching 10%. So, you know, you look at the fundamentals, very tale of two cities. And, and from a valuation standpoint, at least what the public market's telling you, pretty tough. Are you trying to avoid that part of the market? It, it, you know, you, you are. Uh, with, with that kind of, um, with the outlook there, you just want to be careful. Now, again, we have office holdings that we fundamentally believe in. You just have to position yourself to get through this. And I go back to your question on retail. Retail went through a similar period. You had winners and losers. We very much believe the same to be true here. But in this broader capital markets environment, you know what you truly believe in, you need to hold um, and, and, and live to fight another day. So, okay, so we talked about experiential retail. We talked about life science. We talked about being very specific with regards to, to office space. Um, we talked about tech centers, uh, both, uh, apartment rentals. What, what else, uh, anything else that we missed? That gets you excited? Well, industrial. Industrial. Yeah, industrial. Yeah. Uh, 100%. You know, the, the e-commerce trend continues. Uh, the biggest change over the last 6, 9, 12 months is Amazon. Uh, Amazon drove the market, and they've really pulled back. 
pulled back on capital investment, pulled back on new leasing, net absorption. So that's something that, needless to say, everyone in the market is, is very uh, aware of. That said, demand continues to be strong. Now, the second derivative, it, it's tailing off. You know, the, the rental demand, the net absorption is starting to slow, which you would expect to see. But overall, the sector is one that we believe in long term. Second derivative and convexity <laughs> in the same podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I, hey, I named my dog Ferris, man. Come on. <laughs> I'm just trying to provide some balance here. Balance, you, well, you remember that book? Perfect. Yeah, you, you can't fix stupid. You remember I, I that book? <laughs> Clearly not fixing stupid. <laughs> you remember that book, All I Needed to Know in Life I Learned in Kindergarten? I think it's mm-hmm. we're going to change it to All I Needed to Know in Life I Learned in Calculus class. Now, the, <laughs> the second Uh-oh. derivative, the, the change in the rate uh, of change. I have so no idea what that means. Amazon, why is Amazon pulling back? Is that just did they overbuild? Yeah, I mean they um, they were the largest, and and when you, when they say built, you know they uh, majority of that was done third party, so someone built it for them and then they they leased it. But yes, extremely aggressive uh, over the last three years, as they should have been coming out of COVID. And like a lot of COVID stories, they pulled demand forward five years. So what they would have done in a five, maybe even a ten year period, they did in a three year period. So it, it, I look at it, they're just being smart, hitting the pause button a little bit, reassessing the efficiencies, where they want to focus their capital allocation, and, and I, I would expect them to expand again at some point in the near future. I wish they would stop sending one box at a time. Like, <laughs> can we just group these things together and be a little bit more uh, uh, efficient, my, a my, little bit greener? Uh, my 15-year-old daughter would beg to differ with yeah, that I'm statement. Yeah, I'm sure she yeah. would. I'm sure she would. So, Jody, now do you want to ask your, your famous question? Yeah. yeah. No, well, I don't know how famous it is, but I think it's important. What did we miss, Bert? What should we have asked you that we didn't? You know, I, I think we covered the bases fairly well. I, I, you know, the environment right now um, is challenging in a good way. Um, the dislocation, you know, it, it breeds opportunity here. Uh, we're, we're really leaning in, as I as I said to start, and I'll say again to finish, uh, from a, a private credit standpoint, just seeing a lot of opportunity in the three areas that I touched on, whether that's non-bank origination, gap financing, or what we're expecting to see in some secondary scratch and dent, or maybe even some distress. in the second half of the year. But um, if you can be convicted today and reallocate dollars, it's something that, um, you know, we think from a a current income, you know, and portfolio fit too. Jody, you know, correlations have really gotten uncorrelated, meaning, and I'm kind of saying that in a double negative, uh, you know, stocks, bonds, gold, crypto, it's moving very similarly. In a, in a correlation that has defied historical norms. And one of the things that we've really liked is we talked to, you know, clients about portfolio fit, efficient frontier, you know, how does private credit, how does real estate credit fit into that? Whether it's sharp ratio, looking at risk relative to return, whether it's, it's correlation, how does it play into my real estate equity? How does it play in my stock positions? Historically, it's fared incredibly well as a complement to a broader portfolio. So, you know, maybe that's a good tag along. It's not just the opportunity set it's not just the total return. It's not just the relative return, but it's also portfolio fit. So, Jody, we got jumbo shrimp. We got challenging in a good way. We got correlated <laughs> and uncorrelated. On, on jumbo theme, shrimp to convexity. I, I don't know yeah. how we covered so much ground. In my this my new favorite one is cor- correlated in an uncorrelated way. We are right. fishtailing beautifully. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Bert, thank you so much. Very informative. Uh, great having you on the show. We'd love to have you back again soon. Appreciate the invite, guys. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Invesco's Greater Possibilities podcast. The opinions expressed are those of the speakers and are based on current market conditions as of April 18, 2023, and are subject to change without notice. 
These opinions may differ from those of other Invesco investment professionals. Invesco is not affiliated with any of the companies or individuals mentioned herein. This does not constitute a recommendation of any investment strategy or product for a particular investor. Investors should consult a financial professional before making any investment decisions. Should this contain any forward-looking statements, understand they are not guarantees of future results. They involve risks, uncertainties, and assumptions. There can be no assurance that actual results will not differ materially from expectations. All investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. An investment cannot be made directly into an index. Investments in real estate-related instruments may be affected by economic, legal, or environmental factors that affect property values, rents, or occupancies of real estate. Real estate companies, including REITs or similar structures, tend to be small and mid-cap companies, and their shares may be more volatile and less liquid. Interest rate risk refers to the risk that bond prices generally fall as interest rates rise and vice versa. An issuer may be unable to meet interest and or principal payments, thereby causing its instruments to decrease in value and lowering the issuer's credit rating. Mortgage and asset-backed securities are subject to prepayment or call risk, which is the risk that borrowers' payments may be received earlier or later than expected due to changes in prepayment rates on underlying loans. Securities may be prepaid at a price less than the original purchase value. Leverage created from borrowing or certain types of transaction or instruments may impair liquidity, cause positions to be liquidated at an unfavorable time, lose more than the amount invested, or increase volatility. Information on the size of commercial real estate on the loan books of Silicon Valley Bank is from the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation as of February 28, 2023. Information on the level of federal funds rate and the amount of rate hikes from the U.S. Federal Reserve as of March 31, 2023. Federal funds rate is the rate at which banks lend balances to each other overnight. Information on the level of secured overnight funding rate from Bloomberg as of March 31, 2023. The secured overnight financing rate is a broad measure of the cost of borrowing cash overnight collateralized by Treasury securities. Information on the market share, total loan book size, and the level of origination of regional banks from the U.S. Federal Reserve as of March 31, 2023. Based on regional bank commercial real estate assets compared to the total amount of commercial real estate assets on all U.S. banks. Information on the size of the bank run in March from the U.S. Federal Reserve as of March 31, 2023 based on the daily change in small domestic chartered commercial bank deposits. Information on the size of the wall of maturities from Bloomberg and Morgan Stanley as of March 31, 2023. Information on the loan to values of commercial mortgage-backed securities from Bloomberg as of March 31, 2023. Based on the Bloomberg U.S. Aggregate CMBS Index, which is a benchmark of the U.S. CMBS market. Information on the size and scope of Invesco real estate is from Invesco as of April 18, 2023. Information on U.S. industrial cap rates and property values is from Green Street as of March 9, 2023, the most recent data available for Metro-level data. Information about the growth of the 75 and over demographic from the U.S. Census Bureau as of December 31, 2022. Information on vacancy rates in neighborhood and community retail from the Association for Neighborhood and Housing Development as of March 31, 2023. According to Green Street's Commercial Property Index, apartment prices declined by 21% year-over-year ending March 2023, whereas mall prices declined by 15% for the same period. Office carts wiped data from Castle Systems as of February 28, 2023. According to Green Street, on April 14, 2023, public office REITs on average were trading at 50.2% of net asset value, with some individual office REITs discounted in even deeper negative territory. Cap rates implied from office REIT valuations averaged 9.8% on that date. 
M2 is a measure of the money supply that includes cash and checking deposits as well as saving deposits, money market securities, mutual funds, and other time deposits. A systematically important bank is a financial institution that U.S. federal regulators say would pose a serious threat to the economy if it collapsed. Convexity is a measure of the curvature in the relationship between bond prices and interest rates. The loan-to-value ratio is used by lenders to compare the amount of a loan to the value of the asset purchased. The debt service coverage ratio measures a firm's available cash flow to pay current debt obligations. The efficient frontier is a set of individual portfolios that are expected to provide the highest returns at a given level of risk. The sharp ratio is a measure of risk-adjusted performance. Correlation is the degree to which two investments have historically moved in relation to each other. A basis point is one one-hundredth of a percentage point. Cap rate is the rate of return on a property based on the income that it is expected to generate. The Greater Possibilities podcast is brought to you by Invesco Distributors, Inc.